0: The thing we stressed as peer supporters was that you aren't the first guy to have this issue. There are other guys who've had this issue. You're not alone. You're not alone. We try and make these firemen realize that they're not the first guy to go through this. There are other guys who've done this. Let's work this out. Let's help, you know, let's talk about this.
1: Excellence is a rarity, but you are not alone. Talk and Shop with Outlier Firefighters. Evening, everyone. Alex Tanner here with Outlier Firefighters. This is Talk and Shop with Outlier Firefighters, episode 22. I'm here with uh, Mike Fox, and uh, you guys are – I know I always say that you're in for a good show, but come on. You're in for a good show, and uh, you guys are really going to enjoy Mike and the wisdom that he shares and uh, shout out, already we have Gilsinger in the chat saying it's going to be an awesome show. So he would agree. So um, thank you, Mike, for coming on. Uh, really excited to have you here.
0: Glad to be here, Alex. And uh, I want to thank you for having me. And I also want to throw a shout out to Craig for suggesting me. I talked to him yesterday. And uh, I'm glad to, I thank both you guys. So thanks for having me.
1: Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's it's gonna be a lot of fun. So we were green rooming and we have some some similarities in our background being multi-generational and some of that stuff. So uh, I think we're just gonna jump kind of right into that. So was that your first exposure to the fire service? Was, was your family or did you have something else in your life that exposed you to it?
0: No, it came up through my family. My dad was a fire fan in the city as a kid and he used to hang out at a firehouse on the west side and uh, he eventually left the city and came out to Niles and got hired as a firefighter in Niles in 1963. And he was one of five full-time, the first five full-time guys who uh, got hired by the village of Niles. They had one firehouse at the time and this is what my dad always wanted to do. He, like me, was uh, doing a lot of work that didn't really interest him. Uh, he was selling insurance he did all kinds of stuff and uh, when he finally got a chance to be on the fire department that was it for him that's he wanted nothing more so you know he would bring that kind of stuff home all the time and uh, in the beginning I got I would go over to station two on Dempster and Cumberland and Niles because we live close by so I'd hang out over there all the time and ride my bike to calls and you know, stuff like that, stuff every kid does who wants to be a fireman. And um, so that's where I got the bu- I got on the fire department late. Um, I didn't get on until I was 31. Kind of bounced around other jobs for a while and didn't really get serious taking tests until a little bit later in my 20s. And uh, finally got on in uh, 1983. So I uh, got on in 83 over North Maine in 30 years. Uh, four is a paid on call, 26 is a career and, uh, found, found what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And, uh, I followed, I followed, didn't follow my dad's path or anything like that, but you know, I would run into him at fires once in a while, which was, and, uh, he left the job in 86. He had a heart attack and, uh, retired. He never came back. And, uh, you know, I just kept going. I, uh, been retired 10 years now. I retired in uh, July of 2013, so had a good run. Very uh, proud of the run we had and uh, the relationships and guys that I got a chance to establish and continue on this day. So um, I, I couldn't have think of doing anything else in my entire life. Um, there are guys who will tell you that you've hit the lottery, kinds of, uh, of platitudes at you about getting the job and all that, and you know what? They're right. They're right. This is this is uh this is the top of the mountain for you if you get on the fire department. At least it was for me.
1: Yeah, couldn't agree more. Uh you got some shout outs here too. You got Leanhart yeah. in the in the in the chat. You've got Vitaly shout-outs again about the battalion one, not just <laughs>
0: battalion one. So oh. they got you. You guys in Lincoln Square are killing me. <laughs> Man, you guys are killing me with that battalion one. And Leanheart, Chris, you were the guy who first brought it to my attention, you know, way back when, I don't don't even know when it was. It must've been two and 11 somewhere in there. So, um, love you guys for sure. For sure.
1: (laughs) They're like (laughs) your hype band. Like you got your, your whole hype group in the background ready to go.
0: It's awesome. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you guys are sitting in. You're giving up watching the Cubs and football for me. I'm honored. Yeah, there it is. Uh so talk through
1: your career, right? And and we we, uh you know where you progressed through your retirement and then uh, over the course of that, how did you learn about firefighter culture and values?
0: Um yeah, that's a good one. Um I you know, I started out as a grunt, uh, like everybody should or does. And um I started off uh on shift and at the time back in though you know in the mid 80s when you came out of the fire academy you didn't have a proby book you didn't have any of these uh guys to put his arm around you and tell you everything was okay you got thrown into the fire literally i mean you got just thrown in and i got hooked up with a a guy who uh became one of my my all-time mentors and i'm going to call him the late great manor Dims because he passed away about four or five years ago but um I got thrown in as a blue shirt and got hooked up with Maynard Williams. And, um, he just kinda, he guided me, guided me through. I mean, he was always there for me. Um, got me through, um, through probation, got me through the tough times, got me through, uh, learning equipment. He got me through knowing the culture. He got me through knowing, uh, uh how to apply yourself. And, uh, Maynard was was the best for me. Uh, he was great. Uh, I did 13 years as a um, firefighter medic. I made lieutenant in um, romantic, 2000. I made lieutenant in 2000 in the right front seat and made chief in 2007 to uh, retirement. So um, I spent a considerable a considerable amount of time as an acting lieutenant, too, before I actually made LT. Spent a lot of time as an acting lieutenant, and and I will tell you that that was probably that was where you straddled the fence, and you were uh, had one leg on the firefighter side and the other leg on the uh, company officer side, and I thought that was a valuable experience for me. Yeah, I got a chance to learn a little bit of authority. I got a chance to uh, see things from the right front seat a little bit instead of the backstep guy or the engineer. And um, that was the three or four years that we were acting officers was, was valuable, very much uh, a valuable time for me. And it made making Lieutenant um, a lot easier, a lot easier. Hardest promotion in the fire service, I think is going from a blue shirt to a white shirt. So going from blue shirt to Lieutenant. Because the first thing these guys who love you are going to do for you is test you, you know. As soon as you're the lieutenant, they're going to test you and see where you're at, see see what kind of. And uh, I had that. Uh, it was uh, it was kind of a uh, a hard place for me to be, too, because you're on the hot seat, you know. And uh, all eyes are on you. And uh, it's different on Monday, your uh, blue shirt but on Tuesday you're wearing a white shirt. So it makes it hard, but, um, you know, you settle in, you get used to it and, uh, you, you accept the challenges that come your way and, uh, you just learn to kind of slow it down, think things through and make your decisions. And hopefully you've, uh, you've made some good ones, made some right. ones. So, um, like I say, when I made chief and, uh, um, I will tell you that, um, between me you, and whoever's listening here. I honestly, even though I think I did okay as a, as a district chief, um, I never really felt like I found my my sweet spot. You know, I was always on edge, uh, was always kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop kind of thing. And I just never really found my, my spot. I never felt Totally comfortable, even though I think I did okay in that. But um, I, I really did enjoy the entire career arc. It was great. It was great. So
1: that's awesome. Uh, we're we're dealing with a little bit of connection yeah. issues, Mike. So I, I'm gonna have to maybe figure this out. Um, it's really choppy. I, okay. I, I I'm telling you, it's 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 Google Meet. I think I'm about done with Google Meet. And this is. <laughs> probably the last time i'm gonna use it for one of these but um i might try to work in the background here and maybe switch us to zoom like in the middle of this so <laughs> bear with me while i try to do that but what, what i'm gonna do i'm gonna throw you the next question because um you, you already kind of mentioned uh um uh, maynard and i i love people being able to share uh uh mentors of theirs early in their career. And uh, is there anything that was a defining moment for you and your relationship with him that you knew, okay, he's he's going to help me succeed and take me to the next level? Was there a defining moment where that happened for you?
0: Yeah, Maynard, Maynard came out of the military. Maynard spent uh, a tour in the Navy and he spent a tour in the Army. So he came out of the military came into the fire service and all of he was about discipline and regimentation and, you know, that kind of stuff. And to be honest with you, when he got introduced to me, that was exactly what I needed. It wasn't like I was a wild guy or anything like that, but it turns out, and you know, sometimes you don't know things until you look back on them, but it turns out that I believe that a lot of the leadership traits that i inherited i inherited from him and he was exactly the type of guy that i needed to help me get through the sometimes choppy waters of uh, becoming a serviceable medic and a fireman you know um maynard also was a police chief in oakwood hills uh i don't think it was a full-time department in fact i know it wasn't and uh so he was he was uh he had a lot of uh uh Coverage out there, so he's very well known in the uh, area, and he was a good guy. He knew his job, and that's the important thing. Maynard knew the fire service, you know. Maynard knew the job. Maynard knew the right thing to do, and I was fortunate enough for him to kind of instill that, to instill that kind of stuff on me. And uh, you know, I'm so sorry that he that he passed away like he did. He passed away in uh, Arizona in a motorcycle accident. Uh, about four or five years ago, I think, maybe a little bit longer. But um, uh, right around the time, Paul Miller from uh, Displays was killed in a motorcycle accident, too. So, um, yeah, but uh, Maynard and I were a good fit. We developed into a pretty damn good friendship. Um, you know, that stuff comes uh, with time, too, but he cared for you. That was it. He cared for you. You know, it wasn't like he was just going to... Uh, show you uh, show you a trick of the trade and walk away he cared he cared you know every day when we came in uh he'd throw me through air packs and it was just until you until you can do this stuff with your gloves on and your your blinds your eyes blindfold Folded. We were going to do air packs every day. You know, he was just one of those types of guys. And when I remember when I got my first fire, you know, he was just happened to be pushing me ahead. I, I had the knob and he was just pushing me. He was behind me and he's saying move up, move up, you know, move up. You know, I'm right behind you. Don't worry about it. You know, and he got me through it. And after that you kind of settled in and I settled in and uh became good. So yeah, I mean that's that's what I think uh, honestly, a a good mentor has to be, he has to be a hands-on guy. He has to be able to, uh, relate to you. Uh, he has to care for you. And, um, Maynard was that Maynard was that. So when I talk about him, I, I'm, I'm going to kind of call him the late great Maynard Williams, because, uh, um, I don't know. I just feel like I have to honor him in a, in a little bit, uh, spy. his hobby is a fireman in the city who also works as nipsta as an instructor um so good kid too his his uh, son was on truck 24 on the far south side and i thought he was trying to get onto squad five down to, um on the south side too but um i think kevin his other son is somewhere out west on a fire department kevin williams and uh yeah maynard maynard left a good legacy and uh i was glad to have hooked up with him
1: that's awesome. That's wonderful. I yeah, uh, to to have yeah. that is invaluable over the course of a career. To have that person that just that just clicks and and drives you forward and gives you what you need. Uh, yeah,
0: I, I love hearing that. You're lucky you're if that. you if you get a guy like that. If you get a guy like that, consider yourself lucky. Or if you're a guy, if you're a guy like that, consider yourself lucky because being a mentor, I think, is probably one of the best. One of the more important jobs in the fire department, you know. I mean, it's it's a um, it's a huge responsibility, and um, you 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 do right by the the kid who you're mentoring. And uh, it wasn't like I was assigned like, here's Maynard, he's your mentor or anything. But that's what he became. That's what he became over time. So, um, yeah, sometimes- I was glad to have been paired with him. Yeah, when
1: they get assigned, sometimes it, it almost it, – I wouldn't say devalues it, but it just doesn't have that same click when somebody just just picks you out of the group and and just is there for you. It's it's right. a totally – I've had both. I've had mentors that I've been assigned who ended up being great, but I think the mentors that, that I found or found me have always taken it to that next level.
0: Right. In the, back in the mid-'80s, I don't think mentoring was – even a part of the fire service it wasn't like you were I didn't even know what a mentor was I had a teacher I had a guy who was my not my instructor but he was he was my teacher he was my he was my guy whenever I needed some advice or he would tell me when I screwed up you know I mean it worked both ways and uh you know, the, you, you develop a pretty like that. And then I did with him. So um, when he retired in 07, he was a district chief. I took his spot in the buggy. So, and uh, he went right off to Arizona and, uh, you know, the rest is history, I guess. So I had a couple other mentors, if you don't mind, um, please. kind of like Craig and the the guys from Lincolnshire. I used to listen to these guys. I used to listen to these guys on the radio all the time. They were displays uh chief officers and um you know at the time we did not run with displays displays was one of these departments that basically uh stayed within themselves you know they never asked for they never asked for any mutual aid or anything they just kind of stayed within themselves it was just just their culture you know um, but there were a couple guys who I got to know pretty well over there, Art Zern and Scott Small. And I used to sit on the radio and listen to these guys run their fires. And it was because of these guys that I learned how to set up incident command, how to do a good size up. You know, not that, not that uh, I, I, I didn't have that available to me at North Main or anything or through any of the other departments we were running. But these two guys were good at what they did, much like Craig and, and and myself. When he would listen to me on the radio, I think I learned how to run a fire through Artie and, and uh, Scott Small. And uh, after you know, after everything kind of loosened up, and they came into Red Center and started doing auto all the time with these guys i'd kind of push my way in to go on the air and go to their fires and in, in my uh in the buggy and just go over there and show up and they would put me to work and we became really good uh really good working partners and really good friends because i already worked up at nipsta uh scott i took some uh initial rope classes with way early on in the uh 90s and um these two guys were were gold you know they were gold and um the other guy I want to sh- throw a shout out to is Dave Traforis. Uh, Dave was a uh, uh, former chief of Franklin Park. And Dave's history in the fire service goes way back. And uh, he's he's active today, but he's one of these guys who defines what an old school fireman is. And I don't want to sound out of, um, uh, out of the time period or anything, but i think if somebody were to ask me to define myself are you old school or new school i'm an old school guy whether that makes me um different i'm sure it does but i'm an old school guy and dave is one of these guys who knows the history of the fire service i mean he knows the the why of the fire service he knows why they had uh 12 ribs on a helmet back in the 1910s he knows all this kind of stuff and he and I just hooked up because we both have a love for the tradition of the fire service. And that's, that's important, that's important. Having a deep love for the tradition of the fire service is important because you cannot get to the present without understanding what went on in the past, you know? And we at we, uh, Nipsta we would have our kids do um, historic firefighters. Or, I'm sorry, historic fires, and they would get a class And every company would have to do a historic fire. We tried to keep them local, and uh, they'd have to do the research and do a PowerPoint presentation um, on a Friday of week five or six or something like that. And uh, Dave and I would be in the class all of these, and um, these kids had to learn the history of the fire service being at that stuff. Wasn't important just to learn how to uncouple hose or roll hose or throw a throw a ladder. You had to you had to know the history of how we got there because every bit of turnout gear that we have we have because somebody died doing something else and um, you got to know it. You got to know it and Dave is that guy. So um, he's working out at the uh, uh, fire academy at McHenry County College, I believe, and doing something in the city now. But uh, a couple of years younger. Younger than me, but um, he's he's a good one. So, you know, I think I surrounded myself with three or four very, um, very professional, very out gas job, and uh, I appreciated them. So, yeah, um, I think those were the most important guys in my in my life, you know, career wise. No, so
1: I, that's awesome. That's great to have. I mean, such a volume yeah. of people, and especially. Uh, we're going to we're going to i'm going to try to transition us to zoom here but i wanted to wrap up what we were kind of talking about i think that there is a loss of of holding on to that history right now and my my generation is is doing okay with it but i think we could do better i think there's a huge disconnect to what we've come from and what makes it not just a job and, and what makes it the fire service of what it really is and i i do see that that Things like that, hopefully that help, you know, uh, how Nipsta, you know, makes them research and, and go through that. But unless you're really plugged into it, uh, I don't think on the job people really are as connected anymore. So that's definitely something that we need to do a better job of. My, talking my generation needs to do a better job of spreading that around. Right. Right. Uh, <laughs> I
0: agree. I agree wholeheartedly, what do you want me to do?
1: This pivot is gonna be on the fly and I'm probably gonna mess it up. I'm literally just gonna switch this over to zoom somehow. Look at that, seamless transition.
0: <laughs> okay. okay. All right pal, I I followed your lead, so I, hopefully it's better.
1: We, we, we did a workaround to reset everything here. So hopefully, hopefully that ends up working out. Okay. It only took 10 minutes. That's not so bad.
0: All right. <laughs> ah, not bad at all.
1: All right. Those of you that have stuck with through all that, which actually it looks like most of you pretty much did in the chat. So that's a great thing. Thank you for staying with us. We're going to roll right into it. So you kind of talked about the different levels of service that you've, you've, you've been, right? You've been a blue shirt. You've been a lieutenant. You've been a battalion chief, right? You've gone through all those. Uh, and you talked about the transition between – Blue shirt to white shirt, um, and and the challenges that come with that. Um, does leadership change throughout those positions? In, in what
0: ways does it? Well, I, I think, uh, leader, I th- think um, leadership is is a learned skill to some degree. Um, I, I believe that you learn. The, uh, the basics of leadership, as as a acting officer, which is why I thought it was so valuable for me. And um, uh, as you uh, become further up into the fire department, and uh, you become a lieutenant, leadership is is learned. I mean, you learn by your mistakes, you learn by your successes, and for me i i think like a lot of people i i learn from both and it's what you do with your your not so much failures but from your mistakes and how you apply as you won't do those things again and uh, i had my fair share of of um errors mostly uh perception errors and things like that And i learned from those and hopefully i got better at them as uh i progressed through the ranks and um I enjoyed my time, my seven years as a lieutenant immensely, and uh, I feel that uh, once I really settled in after about a year, 18 months or so, I really felt like I settled in. You know, you get a few fires under your belts, you make a few right moves, you start establishing yourself uh, via your name by working with uh, other towns, by going to other towns' fires by um, uh, participating in other towns trainings, which we did a lot, thanks to to Red and uh, for opening those doors for us. And um, leadership, is you're gonna get better. At it. If you really wanna be an officer in the fire service, you really are gonna get better at leadership, but you gotta let it happen. You can't press it. Um, you gotta give yourself time. But um, I, I believe sometimes, Sometimes, uh, guys are referred to maybe mistakenly you know just because you wear a white shirt doesn't make you a good leader doesn't mean that and um, you got to work for it and the compliments or your reputation will tell you whether or not you succeed. will tell you whether or not you're doing you're doing well and doing the right thing your guys will tell you doing the right. We came back from a fire, any fire. We would go into the kitchen no matter what time it was and we would sit down and we would we would critique it. We would critique every fire we ever went on. Every good 1050 we went on every every extrication call, everything, we would go back to the kitchen and critique it. And that's where you learn about yourself and you learn about the other guys and you learn how strong of a team you have behind you. So leadership for me was something that I had to acquire. I, you don't just put on a white shirt and become the boss. You are the boss, but you don't become the boss. Yeah. Like, no, you've got you to gotta earn it. you got to earn it, man. I mean, anybody who thinks they don't have to earn it or anybody who points to their patch on their shoulder and just says, You see this? I outrank you. You know, BS. Okay. Yeah, I know you outrank me. But if you gotta show me that you outrank me, you've already lost the war. So, don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. Let it come. Okay. Make your mistakes. This job will humble you many, many, many times during your career. It's just gonna make you. It's gonna make you think. It's gonna humble you. It's gonna make you. Uh, question yourself. It's going to make you look at yourself in the mirror and say, "Did I do the right thing? Did I do this and that?" I mean, let it happen. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You'll be a stronger guy at the end for having done that. I, I think. You know, my opinion. Anyway, so that's great advice. Yeah. Anyway.
1: Uh, uh, Vitaly says here in the chat, a lot comes from performing well in other towns or around your peers. And he says you nailed it when you talked about that. It's, it's the truth. It's representing. You represent your entire organization when you go out of town, right? Not just yourself.
0: You know, it's funny, uh, Alex. It's just that I, I was thinking about this when And, you know, it can sound form and for me and all that other crap, but I don't care. But when you put on, get ready to represent the fire service. You're going to represent your job. I mean, this it's very important that when when you go out on a run, when you get in the rig, anything you do in the firehouse, out on the street, whatever, you're representing the fire service. The overall fire service. We're part of we're part of the noblest profession. Once again, I don't want to sound corny, but you know, we are part of one of the noblest professions out there. I mean, we're we're top notch. We're problem solving. We represent the American fire service. Doesn't get better than that. That's it. I mean, so when you throw that uniform on, be take take pride in the fact that you're able to do it. You were picked for it. You've been trained for it. And it's it's a true honor. And I'll tell you something, just I I got into a lot of these uh, observations of mine. Um through the benefit of retirement because retirement gives you a chance at least i think to look at the big picture look back at the big picture and look at the look at everything you did and you can look at you can pick things apart you can you can uh, uh look at uh incidents that happened and we when you're when you're working you're on the day-to-day kind of stuff at all but when you retire sometimes you get a chance to look at overall the big picture and say you know what I was there I went downtown in 1992 and helped them pump the city out because because it flooded when that uh when that uh, damn thing broke under the river you know I was down there I was part of history then you know it was it was cool you know I was at the uh uh which fire I was at. You know, I was there. I was I was there. That was me. I was able to do it. And I'm still being humble about it, but the fact of the matter is is that you got a chance to do some pretty cool stuff, really, and uh, make a difference in a lot of people's lives, but it's through the umbrella, the looking glass of retirement that kind of allowed me on point, just say, Yeah, pretty cool. Being a fireman was actually doesn't get better than that. You know, so anyway, I don't even know where the hell I was going with Hey, that, but where you went is great. I don't great. Know. You. <laughs> I, it, Yeah, I mean to be able to look. I don't even know how I got there, but I got there.
1: I, that's so. that's what it's all about. I mean to be able to look back, like you said, I, I just yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. so many people, blink and they don't realize what they're in right yeah. until later. I. I you're you're spot on with that, right? Uh, so shifting back to yeah, the battalion yeah. one, right? And and one of the things that yeah. that the boys were saying about being calm and and direct and and those things when they heard you on the radio, uh, was that also a developed skill, or do you feel like you were a naturally uh, uh calmer person that you were able to to deflect some of that tension that comes with being really anywhere but in the hey, car.
0: Hey, hey. I had a I had a trouble with that when I got into to the buggy, and I'll tell you um, the first fire we had. And I remember we got a call for a car fire against the building. It was like two or three in the morning on uh, Gregory Lane, which is in the uh, northeast part of our district. And it's one of these uh, calls where if you drive, drive down Golf Road going east, and you look pretty good. It was a car uh, actually send it to to another car, and I got there first, and I gave a pukey size up i remember that because the guys told me that and uh i gave a size up on that the first thing the first thing i did was uh get out of the car and i started to put my gear on and i'm like no you idiot you're taking command of this thing get back in the car slow yourself down and and get these guys in here to do their thing so for me this this calm thing was um a, a learned a learned skill. I had guys who would say, when you're really, when things are going good for you, the entire fire ground slows way down. When things are a little bit haphazard, you don't know whether or not to turn right, turn left, do this or do that. But when fire ground starts to slow down and you get a chance to look at things in almost slow motion, you know, you're good. You know, you're doing good. But for me, I know a lot of guys just operate like that they're lucky for being able to do that but i was still in lieutenant mode for a little bit of time so i had a hard time with that but eventually i was able to slow it down and 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 do what i had to do you know establish my command get my size up done get all my benchmarks done and all that other stuff so i had to work at it it didn't come it didn't come easy for me but eventually eventually you get it you know so um it was just one of those things for me i had to work on it. yeah so yeah. i did i think i i got it towards the end it was okay but uh you know we had some some pretty good jobs over the years where um i i would go into niles and uh, uh because battalion two was off that day or i would go into displays because i was the duty chief uh assigned uh to the displays guys because they were short on admin and help for a while and uh you learn your you, you learn where you need to be. You learn when to talk on the radio. You learn your spots, and uh, it's it's. Uh, I, I was looking back once again, like I said, retirement and all that other stuff. Looking back, I think I was able to uh, look at some of these jobs that I was on and uh, appreciate my role. So I, I that's what I mean. I think for me, though, an uh, answer to the question, this long answer, I had to work at it.
1: That's great. I, I think Greg, uh, Craig here threw a threw one of your size ups. He's got a red battalion or red battalion one on scene of a seven story. No, let's call it a six story with a penthouse. <laughs> Which I don't know what that is, but it's I, hilarious. I, <laughs>
0: That's it, the thing. I mean, um, I think the, like I was talking about mentors, and I was talking about Artie and uh, uh, Scott in displays. Is that um, they kind of taught me by listening to the radio. They didn't. Find- the book. They didn't follow the the book of communication where it said you had to be proper and you had to have everything had to be uh, according to the book. I didn't do that. And like like Craig said, I, I can remember changing, changing some of the things I did when I it, it wasn't rough jargon or anything like that, but it wasn't by the book. You called it like you saw it and appreciated the fact that the guy in the buggy was able to talk like them and communicate to them like they would want to be talked to on the fire ground you know we got the job done all the time but sometimes you know sometimes if you had to correct a mistake or change some of the things you just do it right i mean mean, it was just uh three years so yeah i don't know if i'd be able to get away with that today because i listened to a lot of the guys on the radio giving their size up, but they're pretty by the book, man. I'm, I mean, there's there's no there's no that now. I mean, the guys who are in the buggies these days are, are pretty much following up following something. But uh, I just it was just me. I was just being natural. I'm
1: with you. I I think that uh, I guess
0: so. With- it was okay.
1: I think with uh, Maydays and and that especially, uh, I'm finding that one of the more uh, national trends is plain English, is getting out of that structured, procedural, hey, uh," I don't know, hey, Bob, uh, Alex and Mike, are are your RIT team, they're coming in to get you, versus like, you know, firefighter, blah, 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 blah. Uh, RIT one is coming, blah, 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 and this, you know, it's just, they've, that seems to become uh, a, a more modern trend yeah. right now with radio traffic is a little more of what you would do is some plain English, some, some making people feel not so robotic. Right. Um,
0: I think that there's, there's, there's how you at Yeah. That. Uh, yeah. Uh, I remember, uh, uh, I remember we had a, uh, uh, a laundry room fire and uh, one of our two, so we had a ton of these, uh, two-story, 16 units in there, you know, and we get a call for a, um, uh, smoke in the laundry room. Well, 99 times out of a hundred, this is an over overloaded dryer and overloaded. Well, I was it, and they were nothing. You'd open a window. We'd vent it and reset the alarm and go home. Well, the guys get there this time and, uh, they had to work, there, you know, so they get back to me and they go, uh, one, a battalion one, go ahead. One, a said, um, uh, we're going to have to pull a line here. We got a work on fire in this laundry room. It looks like it's extending up the uh, to the second floor. OK, good. So, you know, I started just. Send an engine uh, truck, uh, uh, truck 60 or truck 81 now, but, you know, you got the roof, you know, and at that time we went to code fours. We didn't have this working fire thing. So, you know, I would ask, oh, you better give me a code four here. And you'd get all these additional companies coming and. um we, uh, you know, we got the fire. Now, I remember telling one of my uh, my officer that day, I said, uh, hey, Steve, are losing this thing. You know, let me know what the hell's going on here. And uh, he said, yeah, we're winning. We got it, you know, and that type of thing. And uh, I caught a little heat for that, you know, but never, never was like, uh, don't do it again. It was just like, hey, Fox, I heard you on the radio. I heard you on the <laughs> radio the other night. Did you win or lose? You know? <laughs> okay, I won. So I said, well, at least somebody's listening. And uh, But it was that kind of stuff. It was yeah. loose. It was loose. And uh, I think a lot of guys appreciated that. And I didn't do it for that. It was just my way. Yeah. So that's it. Yeah, it's okay.
1: My, my dad it's used to right. make fun of me. Us, of the- oh, no, you're fine. Uh, mm-hmm. But my, my dad would listen. Uh, he doesn't now but oh, I worked up in in Antioch before I worked now in Lake Zurich and uh, I was a company officer up there and uh, and I spent a little bit of time in the car not a ton but he would listen my dad would listen to me on the radio because he wanted to you know, keep track of what was going on with me and that kind of stuff and I would get text messages sometimes and I'm, I'll never forget one of them it was hey Dan Aykroyd you can calm down with the with the uh, fire alarm at Dunkin Donuts and I didn't realize I got this thick Chicago accent when I talked on the radio and he made fun of me for it. I'll just never forget getting back in the rig after resetting the alarm going – reading that on my phone like, oh, thanks, Dad.
0: (laughs) That uh, will stick with you forever, you know, so that's good stuff. Uh,
1: But like you said, if nobody says stuff, uh, you you never really are going to – you don't know what you sound like on the radio until somebody tells you, you know, and – Nine times out of right, ten, if you do right. it right, no one's going to say anything anyway. You you just kind of have your your style, I guess. Until you say something weird, then everyone's going to talk to you about it. But.
0: <laughs> but right, right. Listen, we got the job done. We we're always professional about yeah. it. We we're just you know, I was just just a little different, you know. Not much different than my boys in disposal Just a little bit. I guess different. So a little looser. That's good though. Yeah.
1: Uh, so you've, uh, spent some time Nipsta teaching fire academies and, uh, and, and going through that process. We talked in the green room before, uh, and we'll, we'll talk about peer support after this, but, uh, you still are active in, in, uh, teaching other things other than the fire academy, which is pretty awesome. So, uh, how did you find that? Uh, what are you actively doing uh, over at Nipsta right now?
0: Well, I don't do much at Nipsta now, but because uh, I transitioned over to Morgan Grove, I work in, I do inspections there. So I kind of uh, left Nipsta about a year ago, but the, 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 the how and why that I got into it was uh, we used to have these spring and fall Mavis drills every year at Nipsta where all the companies in Division Three would rotate through and we'd do, um, uh, you know, live burns and auto extrication and uh, some classroom, but we would do uh, Mavis drills every fall. And, um, and uh, anyway, I was able to get into the fire academy as an instructor, and uh, I was there for the first class in 2009, and uh, we had a pretty, pretty uh, I think we only had nine kids in the class. And uh, we went through some growing pains, but we had a great, great group of instructors because everybody who was working at NIPSTA wanted to be there. Everybody, firemen uh, throughout the division and even outside the division, but we had great instructors over there. So our fire academy started to grow. So I think somewhere around 2012, so I got a uh, offer to become a uh, coordinator. We had three co- coordinators who ran the program and the program some steam had a good word about it. Uh, we were starting to draw from other places other than Division three. We we wound up going uh, uh, hitting uh, Northwest Illinois. We wound up getting kids in from uh, Bloomington, so we were starting to draw kids from all over. All word of mouth, not a lot of advertising. So yeah, I took up the job and started to be a coordinator and we ran four programs a year. And uh, it was a 320 hour state program. We followed the curriculum from the state, but I think we put in uh, put together a really, really good program that focused on, yes, the skills, yes, the classroom. Like we've talked about earlier, we, we wanted to make sure that we included the uh, history of the fire service. We had a good calisthenic program. Um, we challenged kids all the time. We did weekly evaluations on these guys and uh, gals and uh, sent them out to the bosses. And uh, we developed a really, really good program that started to open some eyes. And um, I was able to put in, like all the cool coordinators we were able, and the with the suggestions of, of our huge group of instructors, uh, we were able to put some great new improvements into the program. Uh, Very wantable, kids wanted to come up there. Uh, Bosses liked the product that they got back, which was the, the main thing, was that when the Chiefs after graduation got these guys back to the firehouse, these guys were ready to go. These guys knew how to clean a toilet they knew how to mop, do all this stuff. You had a housework in the morning, housework in the evening. The last thing, your lockers were inspected all the time. I mean, we we had we had it covered, and I think we did a really really good job. And plus, our training was done by top notch guys because the guys who it, it, and for me, when I retired, I left to become. I was already a coordinator, but I would be able to spend more time as a coordinator, because it was such a natural transition for me to leave the fire service and go to Nipsta, because it was like going from my department to a medium-sized fire department. I mean, we had gear, we had lockers, we had rigs, we had everything. It was like going to a Go into another fire department, and it was a fire department where everybody you worked with was a was a wannabe a good guy, and uh, we rode that for quite a while. And um, our enrollment wound up getting bigger and bigger. We originally were going to cap it at twenty five, and we figured we can't handle any more than twenty five. <laughs> so one day, Harvey, the guys from Harvey, just show up. There's eight guys from Harvey. They just showed up on the first day of the class begging for eight spots they had just hired these guys they got a safer grant and they needed a place to put their guys and put them into a program so they drive them up to Nipsta, and we had already started class it was the first day of um of the new class and these guys come in and they begged to get in there and they said okay we'll let these guys in so now we went from 25 to 33 that was the first class that we had more than 25 guys. So we made it work, we did good, we made it work. And after that, they took the 25 limit down and they were, they were. I think we had one class that was over 40. It became, um, and we ran four a year and they were full. They told us originally, they said, I don't think you wanna run a winter class here. Or was it a summer class? Because it was too hot in the summer. And But they said, no, we have the, in- that we can't turn these and all that. But out of what we did with that program, I ran it with uh, Scott Axo, who um, was a district chief of Morton Grove, who's now a training officer in Wheeling, Uh, Kenny Korber, who was in Deerfield and now it runs the fire program there. Doug Schick uh, is a chief uh, hazmat chief in the city. He was one of our coordinators for a while. And we did very Good work, very proud work, and, and I think the the four four hundred and fifty firemen that we were able to put through when I was there, I think um, was very proud of the guys who were able to uh, to go back to their departments and go, become really good firemen. At least at least for the nine weeks that they were there, that they were able to uh, to meet all the benchmarks and goals and have pretty good confidence that they were able to go back and, and do well, be good firemen. So I'm yeah, very proud of it. We had great training, great training. I mean, good props. Most of it was in the beginning was built by the guys because we didn't have a lot of money to buy anything really. And it was just kind of, we piecemeal it. Our SCBA props were were all ha- home made. Um, our uh, uh, hanger was, done by the guys. Um, it was all it was all done by the instructors. And you know, I mean, s- nights, weekends, weekend nights. And it was all for the success of the program. It paid off, it paid off. We had a great program. Yeah. I think uh, Craig probably, probably knows some guys who came, uh, I'm sure we had some Lake Zurich guys there at some point, but I know we had some Lincolnshire folks in there off and on. So um, we wound up having a pretty good reach all over.
1: So. Yeah, yeah, it was good. Very they had proud. a point. I know because I came through the Quad Two Academy uh, up up north, but I know they got to a point there where uh, in Antioch where where they would actually split it off and they would send some Antioch people to uh, to Nipsta. Uh, I have a couple friends that worked for Countryside Fire Department that went through Nipsta, so Nipsta did have, uh, especially that fire academy, did have a, a wide reach lot of people from a lot of places all over Illinois, so it's definitely an accomplishment.
0: Yeah. Well, our only competition, yeah, the only competition that I believe we had at the time was uh, Romeoville, Yeah. that, that uh, guys would, uh, and they would send, sometimes it was based on the dates that the programs ran, that if they hired a guy and they needed him on the job sooner, Romeoville was... Had a class coming up, they would send them to Romeoville. But, you know, Bloomington still to this day, because I was over there a few weeks ago and I ran into one of the captains who was up there checking Now on one of their candidates, Bloomington in the corner from IFS. I wanted nothing to do with that for any, uh, I don't know anything, well, actually I do, but they wanted to come to Nipsta. So they would send their guys up there, put them up in a hotel, and keep them up there for nine weeks. I mean, they'd they'd be there from uh, Sunday to Thursday. Check out Thursday night. Go home after class on Friday, and come back and do it all over again. But these guys drove right past Romeoville, and they came up to Nipsta. So uh, we had Decatur up by us. Now Decatur is a long way away, you know. So we were um, we had a pretty good reach, and and it was and it was word of mouth. That's it. We didn't really advertise that much in fact. I don't know if we I don't know if we did it all. But um you know, there there was a reason that uh, the guys were loyal to us. And uh they liked the product they got back. They liked the guys they got back. And uh first um, being uh, having evaluations done every week on their guys, honest, truthful evaluations. I think every chief kind of likes the evaluations and of course pers- snell file of their guy when they came back to start their career there they had a pretty good idea of what they were getting you yeah. know and yes we drummed some guys out yes there were kids who came through there who didn't weren't going to make it no matter how much we helped them they weren't going to make it huh. so yeah um we drummed some guys out it wasn't us uh, the department had to do that kind of stuff but um you know, not everybody—not everybody's cut out for this gig, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so it's better to find out there than to find out five years on the job after they've made, made probation and, and uh, you know, that kind of stuff. So yeah, anyway, proud of, yeah. proud of it, proud of it.
1: Your daughter says you're right. doing great, by the way, uh, through that in the chat. Your daughter Allison is in here. <laughs> Uh, Andy Rappaport, who is uh, your nephew, also says. Yeah, you're doing Sarah a great Allison.
0: Job. Okay. Yeah.
1: And uh, pretty yeah. cool here. J- yeah. Jake Gross all says right. that. Uh... Hi, Andy.
0: Hi, Sarah.
1: Oops, sorry, I cut you off. <laughs> um, uh, Jake Gross is in here. He says class 1303. So there's, right? The, there's people all over that, that went through, for 13. sure. Yeah.
0: All right, Jake. Where's, where's he at, you know? I don't know. Uh, Jake, where's he on What department he's in?
1: Uh, th- throw it back in here, Jake, and uh, let us know what department you're from. But we're going to shift towards uh, our, our next topic, which was uh, peer support. So um, yeah. this was one thing that, that you threw uh, in here. Uh, uh, Jake's from Long Grove, by the way.
0: Okay. All right.
1: Which, Jake, I feel like I should know you because you're my neighbor. But. Maybe one day, we'll, we'll meet on the job if Lake Zurich yeah. and Long Grove could ever figure figure that whole thing out that they're maybe thinking about doing. But anyway, um, peer support, uh, w- which is something I, you you found uh, over the course of your career, and I'd love for you to just share uh, that.
0: Well, this, this is kind of complicated. So I'll try and I'll try and take it uh, step by step, but I think. Uh, for me, it started with, um, we had a suicide on our job, uh, I live in six. Uh, the suicide didn't happen in the firehouse, but he was an active fireman, and it happened uh, off the job. But um, the way this went down was we had a guy named Dave Nebar who came out of the Navy, and he was a nuclear tech on a submarine, so this guy was a very very intelligent guy a local footballer Glenbrook South and um, didn't really didn't really have any family Um, he had some cousins and an aunt and uncle but uh, his parents were divorced and whatnot so uh, Dave came on the job and um, becoming a very angry young guy Um, in the fire firehouse, Dave was um, uh, out on the street. He couldn't have been nicer. I mean, uh, if we were to go to uh, some elderly lady who fell off the toilet three times, he could not have been nicer. Never a crossword, never anything, never any resentment. He'd help her like it was his own mother. And uh, But in the firehouse, he was an angry guy. Well, it turned out that uh, Dave um, had a circle of friends and a uh, lot of more drinkers so he worked thanksgiving in 2006 happened to be the cook that day guys had traditional and uh but dave didn't have any family to bring there so he did the cooking and all that had a good day the guys had an average day as far as rungs go and things of that nature and uh, he was never one of the guys that uh changes shifts at uh, 0800 he was out he just put his put his gear in the locker, got dressed and left and uh, never stuck around the coffee table or anything uh, like that. But on the way out that day, uh, apparently told the guys, he said, uh, listen, fellas, I'll see you Sunday. He said, have a good day. Stay safe and uh, see you then. And he left. Okay. Um, that Friday night, Saturday doorbell ring, and there was a Palatine cop and a cook county cop there and the district chief on duty got up answered the door and said uh you have a firefighter named david nebar who works here yes i do well we regret to inform you that um he had a uh shooting in a friend's house in palatine and they were cleaning guns in the garage there was alcohol Involved and dave just put a 22 and a nothing um so saturday morning i was on duty and i came in and you know jim reed says uh you know pulls me on the side and he said this this happened to dave and uh you know everybody just nobody knew what to do nobody knew how to handle it we'd never had a death in a, our family before our fire service. and uh you know, it just it just shocked everybody, and uh, there we are. We're left to figure out how to pick up the pieces, what to do. We still had to run our shift. We still had to had to do everything we were supposed to do that day, and um, things kind of. Um, but we had no no guidance about. So it turns out that Northbrook, after Wayne Lackbuck died uh, in, in the uh, Neiman Marcus incident, uh, Jay Reardon developed all these checklists about what to do for uh, funerals, lined duty death funerals, and they were able to get a whole of some of these things and put them um, after the funeral, which was sometime during the week, the boss brought in the uh, CISD team. Takes the entire fire department out of service. Everybody's ordered in, no matter what. We're ordered in, and, and uh, we went downstairs on a Sunday morning. It's a huge circle. There were two facilitators there, and they said, um, "Okay, we would like to go around one by one, and you tell us what you would like to, what what you would like us to know about Dave Nebar, What what about Dave Nebar? And we went around, it took four and a half hours for everybody to say what they had to say. And at the very end, we discovered was that everybody knew that Dave was an alcoholic and nobody did a thing about it. Nobody did anything about it. It was a complete indictment on the fire department. Everybody knew it, but nobody did anything about it. And um, we had a deal. And we didn't deal with that very well, because truth be told, nobody did a damn thing about it. We didn't change anything. We just went on our, our. I guess, our. Uh, we just went on, you know, we just didn't change anything. We didn't encourage counseling. I, I don't know what we would have done, to be honest with you. But you figure that if there's a line of duty death in your organization, that something has to be Done to recognize what we just went through. The fact of the matter is that we didn't we didn't do anything about it. So Dave wound up uh, being honored the proper way. We honored him in the firehouse the proper way, but it was like we never spent any significant amount of time talking about it anymore. It was a hard thing. It was a very hard thing um but you know heals th- things i guess and uh you know you move on um a little bit out of sequence but as we moved on from from that uh i in particular had an incident and i think a lot of guys might have this particular type of call in their career at some point i had at a uh A little girl, seven-year-old girl, Lenny Beltran, who was murdered by her mother uh, on a Monday or Tuesday night during the summer. And the story of this one was, real quick, is that our guys, right after dinner, got sent out to a a battery victim and we were in this uh, courtyard and there was some gang activity going on and some guys were busting heads with pipes and things like that. So the ambulance had one victim and they took her, took him to the hospital and we get another call. And sometimes when you got on the radio, the, the way the dispatcher talk, their inflection makes you think like something, something of significance is going on. And I remember the dispatcher saying, Angel one, are you available? Yeah, we're available. Um, It was, uh, what was the address? Blank, blank, blank on Kennedy. Right down the street, uh, we've got a girl with with, uh, trouble breathing. Okay, we're going. So we get ambulance too from Niles, is our ambulance um, when we're over there and we're tied up. So we get over there, walked into the apartment and there was a little girl, Melanie, laying in her, the only thing I can describe it as a burial dress laying with her arms off to the side and just like she would be laying if she was in a casket and she's in a beautiful dress there's three kids in the corner next to the mother who are not saying anything the whole situation turned was wrong the whole thing was wrong anyway melanie's taking diagonal dress we were up there with a jump bag we called the ambulance too and told them, bring your bag she's got to go right now because i can see lutheran general right from where we were okay level one she's going there right now and they brought her over to lutheran they stabilized her she died the next morning but she was beaten and bruised from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet and i don't want to go into the abuse of her but um and that one bothered me. That one hung for for other reasons, just stuck with me. I couldn't get my mind. So as uh, the officer who wrote a supplemental report on this particular run, next to the EMS report from the Niles guy, I wrote a supplemental because in a crime scene. So they shut the place down. They had uh, yellow tape up everywhere they arrested the mother under suspicion and the kids were taken to DC, uh, put into a DCFS um, property and the whole thing was unfolding very quickly. Um, so I, they arrested the mother for first degree murder and the father turns out that they would put Melanie and only feed her by opening a closet she was chained in the closet she was beaten in the closet and um it was horrible it was torture so um anyway i went through the legal process on that one and um times about it and i was ready because they said you're gonna get called um for the uh as a witness for the murder trial okay all right so i'm all prepared for for this to to do what I uh, I know I'm gonna do, I said, This is my chance to get this lady, to do what I can, lady. Well, the night before I was scheduled to go to trial, they called and they said she'd be murdered, there's no trial. So I'm like, Okay, I'm glad about that, but what am I gonna do with all this built up angst I have? And how am I gonna get rid of all this? this, um, stress that I have because I was ready to do what I had to do in court. And I just, now I'm, now there is no court. So I had to have that. Um, so I, I had Melanie Beltran in the back of my mind always. And, uh, after I retired, I realized that I was, I was a mess. I was really, I was really a mess. And, um, I, I wasn't a I wasn't a drinker. I didn't take pills. I, I didn't do any of the I guess quote unquote, unquote the uh, uh, traditional ways of uh, of uh, acting out or addicted to this. I was just angry, angry, and I think a lot of it stemmed from Melanie, the unfinished the uh suicide that we had had on the job that we had did nothing left uh, suffice it to say the job just got a little bit harder for uh all those years after that kind of stuff and it, it does that i mean it that kind of stuff happens on the job these are the bumps the hit the peaks and valleys that i was kind of talking about so in 2015 um i read about I found out about an organization called Illinois Firefighter Peer Support. A uh, guy named um, Bowling Creek Lieutenant, Matt Olson, started the group because of issues he had. And basically what, as a peer supporter, you are a trained listener, okay? They teach you how to listen to guys who are having trouble. And, And the program basically is a ground level program where if you have an issue and you don't want your chief to know or the department to know, you would call the hotline and uh, they would hook you up with a peer supporter. And you would be able to handle this with the few visits um, out of firehouse paperwork. So it was that type of a a program. And initially it showed a lot of great success. And I felt that if I got into the peer support program, I could help myself as well as help some other guys if, if if they needed help. And they were very specific with who they hooked a peer supporter up with a client uh in other words um now they can get a a peer supporter who is in uh the south suburbs who is going through a divorce and uh had a pediatric arrest on the job and uh, needs to talk to somebody well they would try and find a peer supporter who kind of had the same um uh, so he could at least relate you know so I didn't get that much activity off that. But I was on the website. My picture and bio was on the website. So I got some calls from guys who were local and just wanted to talk. And I would meet guys. And I met a guy in Chick. I a I would met a guy in a oh, um I met a guy at a, a BFW Hall. So it was outside of the firehouse. And, um, you know, it was just a chance to to try and help these Guys out, who who didn't want to flush their career away, and just wanted to talk to somebody. And I think we did really good work there because the thing we stressed as peer supporters was that, and this is true, is that you aren't the first guy to have this issue. There are other guys who've had this issue. You're not alone. You're not alone. You know, you try and make make these firemen realize that. They're not, they're not uh, the first guy to go through this. There are other guys who've done this. Let's work this out. Let's help. You know, let's talk about this. And uh, it was therapeutic for me, and it was therapeutic for them. So I became a peer supporter. But the problem that I had um, is being a retired guy. Um, even though there, there's not a lot of call for retirees who are having mental health issues or having issues. But, uh, what I did do for three or four years was I volunteered my time at Rosecrans, which is a, uh, Uh, facility in Rockford and they would, uh, Dan DeGrice who's a retired uh, battalion chief in the city started a program up there called the Florian Program and the Florian Program basically um, was an intake program for, it started out as firemen who were having problems and couldn't work anymore. If you fell into that specific um, uh, group and the fire department would stand behind you. They would put you and help you go into this 28 to 35 day lockdown program. And you were locked down, that was it, you were there. And they would try and work you through your addiction. You were addicted to pills, you were addicted to booze, you were addicted to whatever. And it's still an active program today. And um, they let medics in now, they let military guys in there now. And I would go there once a week and just sit down with the group and we would talk. And that was, that was uh, uh, good medicine, good medicine for the guys who were locked down, and for the guys like me who needed to hear from other people because I was uh, kind of struggling myself. So um, I I did that for several years and uh, kind of backed away a little bit because you know honestly. As a retiree, you really lose touch with the uh, what's going on now. You lose touch. You kind of lose touch with the, the current state of affairs and and the modern teachings and things like that. And um, so, while I'm still following it, but I'm I'm not really active in, in meeting up with peers anymore. But for the time that I that I did it, um, it it was uh, worthwhile it helped me because um you know i had my own issues too and i think um we also helped some guys through through things too but the point is is to me is that i think most guys are gonna uh, catch a call or two that's gonna just hang with you uh, somewhere in your career you're gonna you're gonna catch a call that's that's you will look back on and you will say that one is the one that just hung with me, and you know she hung with me. But like I say, looking back on retirement, was that um, what call started my my um, mental health? Um, oh, that's the right word. I can look back and tell you what call triggered my um, triggered my overall mental health and, and the way that I looked at things. I mean, I, I was a brand new paramedic, 1988. We didn't have squat one about SOPs for pediatrics. We didn't have them. There was nothing there. I had a thick Bible from saying you can keep a 96 year old guy alive with uh, bicarb and all this other stuff for forever and ever. But when it came to a pediatric, we didn't have anything. So I remember being out on a run with uh, my uh, preceptor Dave Strom, and uh, we catch a call on Bay Col- Colony and uh, it was for an infant at uh, The engine got there first, and uh, this lady was running some unauthorized daycare upstairs, and uh, one of the kids who she was caring for apparently aspirated on um, uh, her own uh, her own vomit, and uh, she choked to death, and by the time she saw her she was already gone so we were able he's got this little baby in his hand and chest compressions like this and it was like okay throw and go that's what we were going to do so i'm I'm with this uh little child in the uh back of the ambulance and this was april of when was my sarah born april of the 89 that's what it was i, I think honey if you're listening i think it was april of, 89. Well, anyway, um, I'm in the back by myself, and I looked down at this baby, and whose face do you think I saw? My daughter, right? I looked down and saw my daughter, and that just, that freaked me out. I mean, it it didn't keep me from doing what I could do, which was only chest compressions and putting a little nasal mask on anyway, but I looked down and saw my daughter. So, we go to the hospital. they, They... declared the child deceased and you know we came back and did our thing but there was no at that time there was no time to catch your breath you know why I know that because Wednesday was floor day and the damn captain who was on duty that day when we backed the ambulance in said go change your t-shirt Fox he said get out here and help us with the floor okay my head is still spinning first of all I'm new second of all we just had a pediatric arrest my first and then number three, it's just I didn't even have time to sit down and finish my report, you know. But that's that was how it was back then. You just got back to work. There was no. There was no. um uh, What what am I looking for? There Talking was about no it. Time out. Yeah. There was no. You just got right back in Yeah, you just got right. Right back into the the saddle and did your even something as meaningless was getting the damn floor done right so um you know so that's that's just how it was now we're having a couple runs when i left where guys were just uh, uh, did their thing and they had some stabbings and things like that and um one of the on duty when and this is fast forward 25 years right and um he, he was having none of it. He came back and did his thing, we replaced him. I called a guy in off duty and I said, I need you for overtime because I'm sending Dave home. And I did, I sent Dave home and I, I hired back a guy because uh, I needed a medic. I mean, that would have been unheard of back in the 80s. And maybe even going back further than that, they just didn't do things that way. So we evolved as a better fire service the more that time went on. There was a more, more recognizing the fact that this is tough stuff. This is hard stuff. You know, if you're running 15 or 20 calls a day, which towards the end of my career, we did. If you were running that kind of call volume a day, you know, and you would wind up having a, uh, uh, an arrest here, an arrest there or whatever, it takes it's a toll on guys, you know, and sometimes as an author through and say, you know what, I'm taking, I'm taking you guys out of service for a couple hours. I can get coverage from any other town around because I can put my hands on 15 ambulances if I'm in Red Center. So that's not an issue. I can get an ambulance, okay? You guys sit for two or three hours and just relax, okay? I don't want you going on another call. And after that, if you're still not feeling right, I'll replace you. I'll replace you. That's part of uh, being a, an officer. I got to look out for my guys. I got to look out for my guys. And, um, so that was not common, but it happened. So I think we evolved as a fire service from when I first got on to when I was making the decision to say, sit, sit, you're out of service. Okay. And, um, then if I needed to, you know, I'll, I'll send you home. I'm not going to charge you with any time off. Don't worry about that, but you're going home. You're done for the day. And, uh, that was a important There was important stuff you know i kind of forgot about so i just thought about it but um yeah getting back to peer support there's a lot of roads that led to me getting into peer support there was a lot of runs that even though i was uh you know i was an officer i wasn't riding the ambulance you know we still were a assist company and um we still saw this stuff because we had a crappy area i mean on friday saturday sundays um, we had stabbings we had shootings in the summertime we had all kinds of stuff going on so we had a wild area over there so um you know we're human it comes down to it we're we're human beings and uh, this is a tough job to do it it doesn't just affect guys in the city you know you think it does but the suburbs are sometimes just as crazy and just as active as as a lot of parts of the city it happens there's crime out here too there's murder out here too there's all kinds of mayhem going on out here too and uh yeah i mean it uh, it affects it affects us it affects us so as a boss it's one of the things you got to be aware of look at your people look at your guys take the temperature of your guys and you know when somebody is toast you know when somebody is is done you know when somebody can't do anymore, and it isn't for lack of want, it isn't for lack of of, of uh, desire, it's just that they're they're beaten up, they're beaten up, and uh, you gotta recognize that and take care of it. It's a long story to get back to peer support. That's why I got into it, because it affected me. I don't have any idea, I have no clue why I never took a drink I have no idea why I never took a pill. I don't have any clue. It could have been that easy for me, but I never did that. On top of that, I don't want to touch this one too hard, but our son Dan, who was a 16-year-old, was diagnosed with cancer and must have too. So I I insert that into into my journey. And um, you know, I I uh for twenty-nine months we we're Willie really fought this this uh battle with cancers a six passed away at 18 years old. And um, I one of the biggest frustrations in my entire life was and it still it still makes my skin crawl to this day, is the fact that We, we we would go out and, and pick up these kids who were all the ends age, who were stabbed, shot, beaten up, hit with, hit with pipes, gang, gang fights and all that. We'd pick them up, patch them up, put them on a stretcher and take them to the hospital, only for them to get out and do it again. And while we could do that, we had the technology and the available to save these these guys' lives. I couldn't do one thing to save my own son. Not one, you know. And um, that that still makes my, my skin crawl, you know. Just the fact that we were able to do this for all these careless 16, 17 and 18 year old kids. But when it came to my own son, not one thing. So, you know, you put that into the mix amongst other things which I don't really want to get into. Um, now but um, you know it's the whole ball of wax it's the big picture it's, it's, it's the whole thing it's everything sometimes it just comes together and, and forces you to do um, uh, forces you to do things on, uh, she was a wreck I don't know how she was able to get through it she was an absolute wreck and then you know for me to come home with my anger issues, you know, and my my issues, Um, Mm -hmm. it was tough. It was tough. And, uh, you know, I still had two kids who were living at home at the time, and uh, they had their own, they were teenagers, so they had their own things, whatever. Um, There's a lot of tangent. It's not just work, it's what you bring and how you bring it home, because this job can be as tough on your spouse as it is on you as it is on you because you know how how it works when you get on this job and uh, your wife will say hey honey honey, how was work today and you'll say well we had these this call this call and this call and this death and this that and then after a little while you're like why the hell am i telling my wife that she's home raising two kids why am i telling her about this so now it winds up well how was work today it was fine and then you don't say anything you don't say anything more about it right because you got to protect yourself and you don't want to bring that stuff home to your to your wife and family. And uh, so you're shutting her down. And then it isn't right, but that's the nature of the job, yeah. too. So anyway, um, I don't know. That's pretty much how I got into peer support. I highly recommend the program. And if anybody on our job uh, needs an entry-level person to talk to, Um, give the peer support uh, hotline a call. They have a 24-hour hotline, and they would get back to you within 24 hours and try and hook you up with somebody who um, can identify with your problem and, and help you through it. I think we have plus peer supporters in the state, so we've got, we've got the help out there. So I encourage everybody, if you think you need it, uh, please try and... Uh, admit it to yourself that you're having an issue of fault so.
1: I also uh, threw the website uh, up and up in the chat here too for for uh, for anybody that needs to share it or, or use it themselves at least that's it's a jumping off point and then um, if you know you're listening to this on Spotify uh, it's www.ilffps.org org if uh, you're looking to go that yeah. route too so Mike, thanks for sharing all that.
0: Uh, well, that's it uh, was the right form for me to do it. So, yeah. to do it. So, yeah.
1: So, let's let's uh, transition into a couple of these uh, other questions. So, I uh, I asked the same couple questions to everybody you know to kind of close it out so we but we still probably got you know time so don't feel rushed to answer these by any stretch of the imagination uh and they've kind of changed over the course of me doing you know all these episodes but uh i I, right now i've got four so uh the first one is what's one mistake that you've made and learned from uh on the job
0: so i was thinking about that and um I became obsessed with, and this is probably weird, but I became obsessed with apparatus position. And you know what I mean by that, right? I mean, where you put your first engine, where you put your first truck, where's your second engine gonna go? Because I was involved in a couple in the beginning that didn't go so well. And there has never been an adage truer then the first five minutes determines the next five hours and that is that is as true as true can be because um i wound up making a mistake with um putting an engine in the wrong spot and never really recovered properly from it so i would um try as as much as i could especially when i was a uh, chief is that that I would make sure that uh, apparatus positions them. Here's why. Because in North Maine, any fire, we would guarantee to get suppression rigs from at least three towns. So if we had a file, uh, I'm gonna get Niles rigs, I'm gonna get Des rigs, I might get Glenview and Park Ridge. So three or four towns are coming into our fire call. Every one of these towns operates on a different SOG than we do, not not that different, but different enough, right? So um, I would always have this issue like, okay, where the hell am I gonna put Glenview engine seven? Because we don't work with Glenview that often, but they're the second engine coming in at this, you know? If I had had uh, three or four stations uh, in one town, I would issue because guys would know that this is where they're gonna put themselves on a fire call because we're all one department we had three or four different departments on every structure of fire to deal with and it made it hard so i'm working extra hard to try and make sure that i get the uh second engine third engine uh the first truck the second truck where am i going to set ems up to do this stuff right so i you know it's kind of kind of wacky but i became Uh, kind of a student of apparatus positioning because that didn't really impact the outcome but it impacted the way we got to the outcome so i just wanted to make sure because you you look at uh you can go on any youtube you want any youtube you want and bring up new york city or chicago or any of these bigger towns and just look at the overview of where they position their rigs and they're always the same you know i mean the first engine in the city pulls past the fire building because the truck gets sector A. The second engine is going to back down to the first and be his feeder, you know, and then there's the second truck going to go so it's kind of like poetry in motion when it works right but by us, we had to work hard to make it work right because we just, a fair amount of freelancing too and you got to nip that stuff in the uh but because freelancing, you know, putting yourself where you think you want to put yourself because you know better and disregarding an order from the uh the incident commander and that, you know, that's that isn't right. So that was my thing because of a screw up was because <laughs> I just I, I I just wanted to make sure because honestly it's you can't fix that. If you screw up, you can't move engines around. You can't move trucks around. If you screw up, you got to live with that, screw yeah. up, you know, and um, I just, that was me. That was me. I became pretty anal about that kind of stuff. So every time we had a fire and we had a critique and we brought guys in, not everybody would show up, but we brought guys in and we would go over it. That's my first thing for me anyway. And I think the other guys, uh, the other guys did the same thing because, you know, your service what one of the. The big, um, big things that everybody in the fire service seems to complain about is that we operate as three different shifts. That yeah. gold shift does things differently than black shift does. Black shift does things different than the red shift does. And we operate as we're like three independent fire departments. So we got to try and fix our own in-house stuff before we can uh, do better outside. So that was that was our goal. I think was to try and let's get on the same. Age here fellas you know but it was weird because structure fire responses by us um, were never the same depending on what grid it was on and whether we were south or north would determine that we, like we would get Glenview instead of Park Ridge and um, so it, it just made it tough so it was one of those ongoing things but that was my that was that was my thing I just wanted to make sure I got that right yeah. every time you know how it is when you get back from the fire and uh, take at the kitchen table and um, you lay in bed at night and you're just looking up and you're thinking about what the hell could I have done differently here and you replay it over and over and over at least I I don't know if everybody does it but you know you replay it over and over and I'm like oh, okay next time next time I'm going to get it. So I worked extra hard to make sure I got it. So that's it.
1: No, it's one of my favorite train. We we would, uh, we can project you know, onto a whiteboard and we will take like Google Earth from the satellite and just throw a marker at somebody and go, all right you're the next rig up. Where are you going to park? You're the, you know, this, where are you going to park? Where's your hydrant? And some, I feel like some of those trainings Mm -hmm. are just so much better than not better, but their, their necessity, right, for people to work through those things. I love those trainings because then, then if you don't have a department standard, like I know there's a lot of departments that do, that have an SOG about where everyone's supposed to park and all that fun stuff. When you don't have that, then at least you know what other people are thinking if you've acted it and you've rehearsed it out, you know, even if it's just markers and whiteboard, like it, it's invaluable. Uh,
0: right. Well, you're, you know, your SOGs have to have to be able to give you some latitude.
1: yeah
0: you know you have to have some wiggle room in yours because like you were saying here's where you're going to park well you know what happens if I park there on this particular day for whatever reason so you have to be able to um, you know adapt and overcome as the expression goes and uh, uh, make sure you can still stay within the spirit of it but get it done yeah you know uh, get it done and that's why I, that that's it's it's important I think to have that latitude in your SOGs that where you can still get the job done but uh, maybe you work outside the lines a little bit so I can't worry you know what Alex I I could never sit there and worry about what kind of crap I was going to catch from uh, from a chief later on um, and I I had a job to do I never once thought about. How, what kind of crap I was in to catch. Listen to this. We had a uh, a fire, 1995. We get a. There's three guys on the engine. Me, the lieutenant, I were good, and the late great Maynard Williams. He's my backstep guy. So I'm engineer this day. We got time for this? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Do we have time for me to tell this? Absolutely. Okay, okay. So um, anyway, we get we get a call for uh, smoke in the area. Okay, so it was at um, Golf and D. Well, we're on Potter Road, so we pull out. and As soon as we open the doors, there is black smoke just moving across Potter Road from east to west because it was a windy day that day. And this was the smoke in the area. I'm like, what the hell, you know? So we go up there and follow the smoke. And um, uh, we wound up having 24 townhouses on fire on this particular day. on under various uh, construction um, uh the way they were constructed, we had 24 townhomes going. top of that, all the balconies of the units that were already built, the six stories, um, all the patio furniture was on fire on these units too, right? So I pull up, and fortunately I had a guy from the city who was doing construction there. He helped me get a supply line. I was very much appreciative of that. But my whole thing was, you know, I'm going to get, I got to get this deck gun going, but... Maynard Williams pulls an inch and three-quarter just to do something, just to get some water on something to try and cool it down. And within a minute of him laying the line on the ground, the whole line burned through. So I knew that it was as hot as the air was, right? So well, anyway, long story short, i said uh, all the paint on the top of the rig starts to bubble, right? I couldn't worry about that. I looked at it and I said, you know, I'm gonna catch crap for this. But I can't worry about that, you know. And sure enough, after the fire was over and it was over in 40 minutes, that's how quick it took. But boy, it was a rough 40 minutes after that, the chief came over and he's just kind of looking at the top of the engine and he shook his head. And then when I got back to quarters, I caught some crap for that. But I I I couldn't do anything about that. Uh, What was I going to do? Yeah i mean i didn't expect to to see this thing take it did and it did and you know we were okay the guys were okay and if that's the worst that happened you should be lucky but i i just couldn't worry about that i, I what am i gonna do it's done it's over sorry but um we put the fire out nobody got hurt and uh we did we did okay so you know i can't worry about what the boss is Think. Even as a chief officer, I had, you know, Arch too. I mean, it's your fire. You know, he was never one of the guys who would come into the buggy and send you out to run a sector and he would run the fire. He would come up to the buggy and say, where do you need me? Yeah. Okay. I need a safety. Fine. you some safety. I need an alpha, Bravo You're fire. You stay in the buggy. You run this thing for better or for worse, for better or for worse." Wars and listen. I made a few mistakes and a few losses, but I think everybody says the same thing. Everybody can pretty much say the same thing. I think I had more wins and losses, which is which is always, uh, you know, um, couldn't worry about that kind of stuff. It it happens. It happens. And, uh, so anyway.
1: Well, that's that's why I asked the question because I I I, um, I feel like sharing when you've made a mistake and you've learned from it, the more people hear that, then I think the less people are likely to jam on somebody once they make a mistake, right? Because it's all about learning. It's all about like like you said, you can, you can make the mistake, but in the moment, you can't let that affect you. You gotta keep working. Like, you can't have it shut you down and, and worry about what hell you're gonna catch for it. You still have a job to do. So, uh, that's that's why I love just asking that question in general. So yeah, a cool story. I I, I love it.
0: You know, my intention our, our intentions are always good. Yeah. But I will tell you this, and, and I mean this, is that this job will humble you. And if it doesn't and if you can honestly look, it's never been humbled, something's wrong because this job will humble you, and it's usually you're humbled within the course of, of making an error, yeah. you know, of, of of maybe getting caught yeah. off guard. But I think everybody who's honest with themselves and somebody else will say that, yeah, I mean, it'll humble you multiple times. and You've got to be ready to accept that because you can build up. Um, I didn't think. I, I, it's all part of learning I learned so much I'm telling you the fire service taught, taught me so much it taught me how to be a better husband it taught me how to be a better father, father. and it taught me how to be a man and never gone to would have done that to me done that to me I mean the fire service really taught me stand up for things and deal with things and and be a better dad a husband parent the whole the whole thing i mean you can't put a price on that kind of stuff and that's why i'm so appreciative that i had the opportunity to be to get this to get this and grow because it it forced me to grow and be that kind of person and um you know who knows who knows if i never got on the job, but I do know. So I know how it, I know how it impacted me. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, have you ever lost your, your passion for the fire service? And, uh, and if you did, no, no. what'd you get to do to get it back or what keeps you passionate?
0: I think that, uh, you know, Maynard early on lit the fire and I was able to keep the fire in the belly, so to speak, uh, throughout. And um, I, I never lost the desire. I never lost the hunger. I never lost the passion. I was uh, lucky enough to uh, attend a lot of classes to, to get my officer classes in uh, fairly early on. And that piqued my interest Um, I was fortunate enough um, to train and get better at at my job. Um, I I don't know. I don't think things fell into the right place for me, although they probably did. But I just feel that... um, I never really lost the desire to be a firefighter, to the respect of the passion. Um, yeah, I had some low times, like I told you earlier, earlier with um, those things that caused me to question myself. But I never really lost my love for the fire service, and even now, even now, I mean, I I still remember in the fire service. I, I you know, I work at Morgan Grove. I'm still in a firehouse. I, I, I still, I still crave it. I still follow it. I still go to fires. I still, I'm still a geek about this stuff. You know, it's 67 years old and I'm still, um, I'm still doing things. I love it. I love it. So no, um, I can honestly say I never lost any of the passion that I had. Um I've been able to keep it and uh something that my dad instilled in me. Something that my mentors instilled in me. Um there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. And I'll tell you I've I've you know I've have some health issues that I'm dealing with and um, Uh, you know, so I, I mean, I, I just, um, no, short answer. No, it's it's there. It'll always be. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. It'll always be there. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, if you wanted to give someone a sense of how fire service culture should work by meeting one person, uh, who would it be?
0: Hmm that's a tough one you know early on in my career i went to see all the heavy hitters when they came into town like uh um, john Norman, uh vincent Hayes and uh they had great stories and great uh presentations and uh you know for for a little bit uh you kind of wish that um you were more in tune with these type of guys you know um i think i think when it when it comes down to it i ran into so many good guys this does so many guys that i i became somewhat close with pretty close with and um i don't know that i can i i can nail it down to one guy I, i i really can't i mean I, Dave Triforis, like I told you, is one of my men. uh still a student of the fire service, knows what he wants. Still uh, respects training, respects the job. I think the one guy who he used to bring in uh, to Nipsta for a uh, talk to the class till he got a little too old to come up north was Eddie Enright, and Eddie Enright was a uh, chief in the city. And uh, I don't know if you've ever seen. That guy, that guy was something else, man. Uh, uh, Eddie Enright was was a. Uh, did you ever see him?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I just saw him. He didn't he didn't give a speech, uh, but I, I went and took a class from uh, uh, Southside Fools in Plainfield this year, uh, which they call Macapalooza, which is after okay. Matt McCaslin, and uh, Double E was there, and uh, he was he was in the back, and uh, he was helping uh, Bob Hoff give his uh, his speech. And he kind of threw a little, a couple little gems of wisdom in the background, but Double E still, I mean, hearing him talk at all is worth it, right? <laughs> I mean, it's amazing.
0: He, he, that, guy, that guy was outstanding, and he would come up once every class if we could get him up there. And we had a pretty good run of a couple, three years where he would come up and speak to the class. And, and uh, the amount of the amount of uh, fire service, um, the amount of knowledge that he has, the uh, um, the uh, presentation that he had was was just out there. Um, but everybody else who I've run into has has been a very very close second because, like I said, I've run into some outstanding people and when you run into outstanding people like that if you can't keep the passion up get out of the job we'll find something else to do because half this job is the respect and the passion you have to have to do it and do it well because you know you know there's downtime on our job there's there's um uh, there's there's other things that happen and um can cause you to sway and cause you to, um, uh, you know, maybe lose your focus a little bit. But guys who come along like uh, Eddie Enright, and uh, he'll put you right back on track. And he always did because as often as he came up there, I would sit in on his presentation. We brought him in, and a lot of the chiefs came in and listened to Chief Enright too. And um, he's my man. He's my guy right there. I'm going to hang my hat on Eddie. I love that guy. Yeah, I love him. So yeah. tremendous. Yeah,
1: yeah. Solid, solid yeah. answer. I yeah, I I, I agree. I, to to put, can you imagine being able to just put like an 18 year old kid who got somewhere volunteer with Eddie for like a half hour? That kid would be set up forever. I I I, I completely agree. Right. yeah
0: they were so in awe of him when when we would bring the class in and uh you know you're going to have chief enright he's going to have the afternoon of the uh uh uh, the class today and uh you know chief enright has a a history with the city and uh um, he was a deputy district chief i believe is where his final rank was and even these kids who We're just wide eyed when they looked at him, you know, you sit there and you look at the way these kids are looking at him and they're like, holy cow, you know, you don't know how lucky you are to be able to get this guy and listen to him. you don't have any idea. I mean, this guy is a gold. He's a gold mine. He's a treasure. You better suck up everything he has. And he would point out kids and he'd say, you know how many threads are on it? You know how many? many times you have to turn a, a bonnet on a flow no, no 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 and he'd say 19 turns you have to have 19 turns and he said it's the kind of stuff he taught his guys he says you know how many threads there are on a brass fit uh a female brass um uh brass uh no 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 and he would challenge him to do the answer you know i mean he was he was the best he was the best I, I, honestly I'm so sorry that, um, you know, health kept him from being able to drive from uh, the south side up North. We even offered one time, I said, chief, I'll send a car for you. I'll send a car to pick you up and drive you home. And, you know, at that time, his wife was, I think, a little ill, and he couldn't do it. So we kind of stopped that. But a, a true hero to me. Yeah. So, yes, it's Ed Enright. My guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, I. Last question here for you. Unless anybody throws anything in our chat here that they, they want to uh, throw your way. I always offer that up if somebody's got something. But uh, f- for now, um, simple question. But maybe it's complex. I don't know. What's the best part of the job?
0: The best part of the job is that you establish with your team, your group, your camaraderie. The best part of the job for me was always exemplified around the coffee table, the kitchen table. That was where we always gathered. And um, we were very open at the kitchen table. We cried, we laughed, we joked, we, we busted balls, we adjudicated, we called names, we had arguments, and uh, the job for me was that, and that was the thing that I missed the most, was being able to sit down at the kitchen table and just hash things out. That is where, that to me, is where everything in the firehouse that matters happens. And uh, so I miss the camaraderie of sitting down with the guys. I miss the change of shifts. I miss on both ends. I miss the guys who were we were relieving in the morning and the guys who relieved us the next morning. I miss that. I miss the joking. I miss all the human things. And that's what I miss the most. I couldn't possibly say I miss the paperwork. I'd be lying if I said that, right? But I missed... I miss the coffee table. And every time I go into a firehouse, they've got some tremendous looking coffee uh, kitchen tables that are, uh, have uh, fire hydrants for legs, that have uh, insignias varnished over on their, uh, on their table. There's some beautiful, beautiful tables in these firehouses. And um, that's what I, I honestly miss the most because life happened right there. That was it, that was it. And, you know, even when the new guy got a new guy, you know, you can't let your new guy um, uh, drift off to uh, another place because he's the new guy. You gotta grab him by the collar and get him involved and explain to him that, yeah, I know you're on probation, but this is where you belong. You have a voice at this table. And uh, especially when we're talking shop, you know, and even when we're not talking shop, you have a voice at this table, because that's, that's where everything in the firehouse happens, man. It's at, it's at the table. It's at the kitchen table. It's it's unbelievable how therapeutic that can be. And uh, I have a kitchen table at home, but I don't have the same type of fun around that that I did at the firehouse. I yeah. love that. And that's, that's, that's what I honestly and it's not just the table. The table's just, uh, the table's just that it's the guys who surround the yeah. table. That's, it's like everything else changes in inevitable. That, guys are going to come guys are going to go. And, uh, you know, guys only, we're only placeholders until it's time to retire. And, um, it's uh it's it's but still all in all is that everything happens at a table i like the fact that um you know when it came time to eat everybody had the same seat you never everybody had a seat the the boss sat at the head of the table like it was his family you know and uh, steve picked out his uh his chair lenny had his chair and this and that and uh it was like when we came to to train after lunch, you know, we'd call everybody back, everybody in the kitchen, black shift to the kitchen or whatever. You know, everybody would sit in their own seats and we'd have uh great training sessions there too. So that's that's it. That's that's what I miss the the most. The camaraderie and the com- camaraderie and the 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 banter around the kitchen table. You know, the ball busting that went on there. It um I don't know any other place that has, and you got to take advantage of that. You know, I mean, the thing that, and this is an opinion of mine that uh, uh, when I first got on this job, we had 12 beds in the bunk room with no walls, just 12 12 twin size beds. There was no partitions. There was nothing to separate in all these modern firehouses. You have your own room. And you can go in your own room and shut the door, and not even bother with the kitchen or sitting at the table. You know, I don't view that as as a plus. I don't think that that's a plus. I think that in this job, you have to you have to be close to your crew. You have to know your guys' wives. You have to know the problems that they're having at home. You have to understand. Everything and it all comes out at the table, so I miss it. I'll always miss it. I had some great cups of coffee there, I had some gut busting laughs, I had some tears at that table, but um, no other place like it in the firehouse. I love Spot. it. So, if that was, <laughs> I don't even remember if that was your question. What I missed, no, noise? you that's it. You're that's right it. there. That's what I missed the most. Yeah. So that's it.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, John Skillman in, uh, right. in the chat here, he's he's agreeing with you. And I, I agree with you. And I'm sure many, many, many other people would agree with you, right? So, uh, yeah, I, it's a great answer. Uh, how can anyone argue that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's that's going to do yeah. it for, for us, Mike. Yeah,
0: I hope that.
1: Yeah. I hope this isn't okay. the last time that we well. chat and uh, – uh, yeah, uh, well, hang out with me for a little bit. We'll, we'll, we'll close in the green room. But uh, I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing all your stories and sharing uh, uh, everything. So I uh, uh, thank you so much. And if anybody needed to get a hold of you or wanted to get a hold of you, uh, how could they do so? Um,
0: email, I guess, or um, my cell phone? What should I give you? It's up
1: to you. Uh, it's just, you know,
0: somebody was listening and
1: found something – you know, I wanted to talk to you further about it. If you're willing to throw yeah, that, we can let see. Let me give
0: you my. I can give you myself. All right. How about that? Yeah. 847. 847
1: 828 Oh, you cut out. Hold on. The last uh, one more time. Seven. And
0: they can pay. 847 828 Six six two seven.
1: There it is. Okay. Perfect. All
0: right. All right. Well,
1: thank, thanks again, Mike. And, thank uh, you very
0: much. Uh,
1: thank you, everyone, for listening, and uh, and have a have a great night. Thank you very
0: much for the opportunity. Hey, right, thanks a lot. Everybody.
1: Thank you for listening. Check us out on outlierfirefighters.com, dot Facebook, Instagram spotify and apple podcasts remember excellence may be a rarity but you are not alone